we're going to take her at Luke chapter 6 today. Jesus, in this chapter, is preaching this epic sermon called the Sermon on the Plateau. And he is cooking. He is just on fire. And I want to highlight three main topics that he touches on in Luke chapter 6. Forgiving, living, and giving. But we're only going to get to the forgiving part today and then put a comma there. We'll do the giving and living later, all right? Let's look at giving. This is out of Luke chapter 6, just verse 37 to start off with. Let's pop this up on the screen. This is Jesus talking here. He says, Do not judge, and you'll not be judged. Don't condemn. You will not be condemned by other people. And then that last line, that's what I want to highlight. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Jesus talks about forgiveness a lot. When you read through the Bible, when you read through his teachings and his sermons, you'll be absolutely astounded at how often he brings up the topic of forgiveness. He obviously wants us to get it. He wants us to grasp hold of this, this idea of forgiveness because he doesn't want bitterness to take up the room in our hearts that joy should occupy. So there are two things I'd like to mention about forgiveness today. First of all, the fact that it's personal, and second of all, the fact that it is a surprising thing. Let's look at personal first. This is Luke chapter 6, verse 41 and 42. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye or in your friend's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own? So your brother has a speck, you have a plank. How can you say to your brother, brother, friend, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It is so easy. Have you noticed this? It is so easy to notice what's wrong in other people's lives. We can notice the smallest little fault or failure or flaw in somebody else, especially the people we're married to or that we live with, can't we? Just the tiniest little speck, we notice that, all right? It's really best to just forgive those tiny little specks because chances are every single one of us in this room have something much bigger than a speck that's brewing in our lives right now. People have a speck. We have a plank. I'm a golfer. Most of you know that. And I'm not a tremendously good golfer. I'm okay. I'm a little maybe above average. But I've found this. that Sometimes I'll be golfing with people, and they'll want to offer me advice on my golf swing. I don't solicit it. I don't want it. They just give it to me. And I've noticed oftentimes the people that want to give me advice on my golf swing are total hackers. It's unbelievable. I'm golfing with them. I'm beating them badly, and they want to teach me how to golf. And sure, they've noticed some small flaw in my swing, but they don't realize that their own golf swing looks like a monkey having a seizure, okay? It's always easy to spot the flaws in others, whether it's somebody's golf swing or whether it's some moral failure in their life. As a pastor, I actually get to witness this all the time. I have people come up on a fairly regular basis and say, Tim, Pastor Tim, we need to preach on this because those people, they're doing some things. It's always those people. Those people are doing some things, and we need to make a stand against what those people are doing. We need to preach against their particular failure or flaw or what they're struggling with. They never, never come up to me and go, Pastor Tim, I'm really struggling. I have this issue, this secret sin, and I'm going to tell it to you. Could you please make a stand against this? Could you publicly preach against this? 
and really lay the hammer down, even shame me so bad that I probably never want to come to your church again? Could you do that? Because that would be so helpful to me. It's always about others. It's never about them, okay? Forgiveness is personal. We've got to realize that. It doesn't start with others. It starts with us. When the disciples of Jesus, his followers and friends, asked him, Jesus, how do we pray? He gave them an example of a prayer called the Lord's Prayer. And in it, there's this line that says, Lord, forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Notice the order of things there. First, we recognize our own sin and moral failure, and we bring it to the Lord to get our slate wiped clean. That opens the door for us, in turn, to offer forgiveness to the people around us. We end up passing on what we've received, but it starts with us. It always starts with us. And by the way, this means, this order means, that at times you're going to have to forgive yourself, which can be one of the most difficult forms of forgiveness I've found. You're going to have to forgive yourself, but please do not cling to your own personal guilt in the belief that somehow it's more powerful than God's ability to forgive you. Because that's simply not true. There's nothing you could ever do that is beyond God's ability to forgive. That's the truth. There's no pit you can dig for yourself that's so deep that he can't reach down in his mercy and scoop you out of it. And I know a lot of you, and I know your stories, and you've tried pretty hard. (laughs) You've gotten pretty deep, right? And God still forgave you. That's the truth. I hope you can know that. Second of all, let's look at how surprising forgiveness is. Forgiveness is, first of all, personal. It starts with us. But second of all, it's surprising. Jesus tells um, a group of people this really cool story. It's actually a parable about how surprising and wonderful forgiveness is. And it's actually found in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read this. It's just verses 21. I think it ends, yeah, in verse 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, he, he sounds tired here whenever I read this. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. More on that later. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or most of your scriptures will say 70 times seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He's telling them a parable now. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything that I owe you. The servant's master, who was actually a king, took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded, and he was angry. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it all back, just like he'd done shortly before. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison till he could pay off all of his debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went to, and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay all that, back all that he owed. This 
is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. Are you kidding me? This is a wild story, okay? First of all, a few things about this story. First, it starts with Peter asking Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone around me? Seven times? He's looking for a limit here. Don't you love him for asking this question? He's looking for limits. He's wanting to have an excuse not to forgive anymore. He wants to say to somebody, hey, I've forgiven you, buddy, seven times in a row for messing with me, but today is the eighth time, and it's payback day for you. That's what he wants, and can't you relate to that? Don't we want limits on the amount of times we have to forgive people? There's a movie in the 80s called Steel Magnolias, and I didn't like the movie very much, but I love the ending because one of the characters gets her feelings really hurt by one of her closest friends. And her closest friend realizes what she's done and comes up to her. She comes up to Shirley MacLaine, who's actually the actress, and says, I am so sorry, please forgive me. And Shirley MacLaine turns and looks at her and says one of my favorite lines in cinematic history, turns and looks at her and goes, you are a pig from hell and you must be destroyed. (laughs) And I loved it because she is feeling like Peter, forgive you, are you kidding me? You're a pig from hell, you've got to be destroyed. That's the sentiment we have a lot of times. We don't want to instantly forgive. That's not natural. We want people to be destroyed. We want payback for them. Well, Jesus bursts Peter's bubble, and he also bursts ours, and he answers him and says, no, you need to forgive 70 times 7. This number's significant. Peter and Jesus both knew the first five books of the New Test- Old Testament rather, by heart. And there's a famous story in the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis, in chapter 4. And it's about a guy named Lamech, who was a violent guy and had obvious anger management issues. And Lamech was famous for saying this, if anybody messes with me or my family, I won't repay them just seven times. I will pay them back with my vengeance 70 times seven. Same number Jesus uses. So what Jesus is doing here, he's using this clever reference to tell Peter and all of us, listen, I want your forgiveness to be extravagant. I want you to be as over the top with your forgiveness as Lamech was with his vengeance and violence. I want your forgiveness to be without limit. We don't want to hear that, but that's what Jesus is saying. The second thing I want you to notice about this story Jesus told is how amazing the king was, okay? This servant owed him 10,000 bags of gold. A bag of gold in that day would have been worth about 20 years' wages. So this servant owed the king 200,000 years' worth of wages. He was never going to be able to pay it back. It was like this buku bondo silly amount of money. Because the servant would not be able to pay it back, he and his family would have lost everything. The common tradition at the time is, they all would have been thrown in, throwed. <laughs> there's some good English for you. They have been thrown into prison, okay? They would have been tossed into prison and had to live life as an indentured servant, as a slave, basically, until they could pay it back, which would have been never. They would have had to be slaves for the rest of their life. That's, that was the common practice at the time. No bankruptcy options here. So the servant begs for mercy, telling the king, I'll pay it all back, even though the king knew that was just crazy talk. But the king miraculously had pity for this guy, for this servant. Now the word pity, I'm going to put it up on the board, this fancy Greek word, because it's one of my favorite words, splagitsumai, okay? That's what it is, and there's actually an A, and it 
A-I at the end, okay? Phlegizomai. And what it means is to be moved in your bowels. Now let me explain. Back then, okay, I have to explain this. Back then, people believed that the bowels or a person's guts were the seat of your love and compassion. That's what they believed. So like we say to somebody that we love, especially on Valentine's Day, ooh, I love you with all of my heart. They would have thought, what are you talking about? They would have said, I love you with all of my bowels, actually. I love you with all of my guts. Doesn't sound that romantic, but, you know, it did for them. Try it on Valentine's Day. See where that gets you. But the point is, this king was moved. He was stirred with compassion. And he, he does this crazy thing. He forgives the guy his debts. And this is incredible. No king in this region would have done anything like this. This was bad business. It would have shown the king to be soft. And then people would have taken advantage of the king. No king would have ever done this. This servant would have been stunned by this generous act. But then the servant goes and chokes this guy out that only owed him a day's wages, which would have been just a few bucks. The people listening to the story for the first time when Jesus was telling it were outraged, and rightly so. They're going, are you kidding me? The servant was forgiven of billions of dollars, and he chokes that guy out for owing him a few bucks? What a dinkus. That's what, I don't know the Greek word for dinkus, but that's what they would have been thinking. But then Jesus comes with the punchline and says, In anger the, te- the king turned the servant over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive others from your heart. What? Are you not a little freaked out by that story? Because suddenly the super nice king seems to blow a gasket and becomes this cruel, angry torturer, which is a problem for us. Because when we read the story, we usually associate God as being the nice, kind, gentle, loving, forgiving king. Does this mean in real life that God might blow a gasket on us and become a cruel torture? Does it mean that his forgiveness and his ability to love us might reach a limit and then we're out of luck? Is that what it means? No, okay? No, not at all. God's forgiveness and love has no limits. Scripture is clear on that, okay? He has no limits, no expiration dates. This scenario sounds harsh, but it's actually quite accurate. You see, when we stubbornly refuse to offer forgiveness to someone, when we cling to our bitterness and anger, that is a form of torture. To carry around unforgiveness in your body is so hurtful. I've done it. Torture is a great way to describe that feeling when you carry around unforgiveness. Some of you are there right now, and I have to tell you this. If you are waiting for someone that's done you some sort of harm, that's hurt you or betrayed you or caused you some sort of pain, if you're waiting for that person to apologize to you or you're waiting for them to change somehow, first of all, you could be waiting forever. And second of all, while you're waiting, you are torturing yourself you're not hurting them you're for you're hurting yourself forgive them right now stop waiting stop the torture i grew up in pleasant hill and there was a lot of my friends i didn't chew tobacco but a lot of my friends did because i played baseball and it seemed our dugout was filled with tobacco truly one of the nastiest places i've ever been in my life and i can remember one time though i'm i'm walking around the school and i found somebody left there can of chewing tobacco, some Copenhagen there. And I thought, I want to see what all the brouhaha is about. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself a chew. And I didn't even really know how to do it, so I took a big old wad, okay? Evidently, you're not supposed to do that. A big old wad, I put it in my mouth, and instantly I completely regretted my decision with every fiber of my being. That is the most vile, and I'm not making fun of you that, yes, I am, okay? I kind of am making fun of you that you, it is the most vile substance I have ever had inside of my being. I'm like, this is worse than canned spinach to me. And I, it was making me feel sick, and my head was spinning. It was just massive, instant head rush. And I got that stuff out of there as soon as I can. I, I mean, spitting that chew out was not, not a bad thing for me. It was actually freedom. It was joy. I wanted it out of my system, okay? Forgive as you have been forgiven. Pass on the mercy God has shown you. It's not a bad thing to do that. It's a freedom and a joy. To hold that unforgiveness, that bitterness in, would have been like me holding in that chew. It's a form of torture, okay? Joy is a far better substance to fill our hearts or our bowels with than bitterness is. And by the way, I want to end with telling you about this. Whenever I talk about forgiveness, I feel like I need to define it and tell people what it is because there's so many misconceptions about it. So please, I want to tell you what forgiveness actually isn't. First of all, forgiveness is not condoning. Do not think, well, I can't forgive that person because if I forgave them, I'd have to condone their behavior. Forgiveness is not about condoning a person's behavior. It's not about looking at someone saying, oh, what you did to me, it was no big deal. It, it, it's okay. No, no. Forgiveness is saying what you did to me was not okay. It was wrong. It will always be wrong. And if it wasn't wrong, I wouldn't have to be forgiving you right now, would I? Okay? Forgiveness is not condoning. It's actually labeling someone's behavior towards you as wrong and hurtful. Forgiveness is also not forgetting. That phrase, forgive and forget, is not in the Bible and for good reason. You can forgive a person without forgetting what they did to you. Some people are oppressed by their own guilt and shame because they're trying to forgive someone for something horrendous that, that person did to them, and they can't forget it. And some well-meaning Christian has usually come up to them and said, oh, you can't forget what they did to you? That's because your faith is too small, and you haven't totally forgiven them yet. And that is a load of crap. Can I just tell you that, okay? That is not true at all. Forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetting. I tell people all the time, to forgive a horrendous act that's been done to you the only way to do that would be to get a lobotomy or take large amounts of drugs, and I can't recommend either one of those things to you as your pastor, obviously, okay? Forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetting. Forgiveness is a profound and important form of remembering. It's remembering the pain and hurts that a person brought into your life, but also remembering that you chose not to hurt them back, that the cycle of pain and anger and bitterness and hurt and abuse stops with you. That's forgiveness. And thirdly, forgiveness is not always fast. Sometimes you can forgive a person really quick, and those times rock. Sometimes somebody hurts me and they ask for my forgiveness, and I go, oh, I forgive you, and it's boom, it's just over. Those times are great. But most of the time, forgiveness takes a very, very long time, and you have to forgive people over and over and over again on a daily basis till it finally takes. And you can tell when forgiveness finally takes because you'll wake up one day and suddenly you'll realize, I no longer wish that person harm. 
I no longer daydream about buildings falling on them and birds pooping on them. That's all gone. I no longer wish them harm. I actually could even pray that God would bring blessing and goodness into their life, okay? Sometimes it takes years to get to that place. It's taken me decades to forgive some people. I am currently working on forgiving a group of people that I've been working on forgiving, and they're not all connected. They're just several people in my life. I've been working for years to forgive them. It's just not taking. I'm still dreaming about the birds pooping on them, okay? I just can't seem, it just isn't taking yet, but it will. I'm in process. For those of you that have been abused in any form, can I just say this? First of all, on behalf of our whole church, I am so deeply sorry. You are worth so much more than that. Never accept that treatment as okay. You are so much more beautiful and valuable than that. But I do want to tell you, even though it seems impossible, you can forgive. You can forgive. You can get there. It, it might start small. It might only start with the thought of, man, God, someday, some year, some decade, I actually might be able to forgive that person. Not now, but someday I can get there. Great. Start there and work your way up, okay? And know that your process is absolutely heroic. But don't expect it to be fast because it probably won't be. And fourthly, forgiveness is not reconciling. Some people don't forgive because they think, if I forgive, that means I have to be best friends with that person again. <laughs> no, you don't. Some people are toxic to you. You might forgive them, but you might have to keep a distance. You might have to form very firm boundaries in their life, okay? Because forgiveness only takes one person. Reconciliation, that's different. It takes two. To reconcile with a person means that they're going to have to own their stuff and take the proper steps to work towards reconciliation with you. If they don't, you can still forgive them, but you might have to love them and be related to them from a distance. Forgiveness does never mean, it never means that you have to step back into a toxic or abusive relationship. No. You have to look at who you are. You are a precious resource. You are a gift to your family and friends and to your community. And it does you and the people around you absolutely no good to have your flame, the flame of your life and joy and strength and love, extinguished by letting someone dump all their slime into your life on a constant basis, okay? Bitterness is easy. I think we all know that. And forgiveness is really, really difficult. So when I was thinking about this message, I thought, well, why make the effort? And I want to answer it by telling you a story about a group of girls that Desmond Tutu, Bishop Desmond Tutu, wrote about. And these girls lived in Northern Ireland. And they lived in Northern Ireland at the time when the Protestants and Catholics were actually killing each other. These religious wars were going on. There was religious-inspired hate crimes. It was an awful time to live in Ireland. And he remembers meeting these girls, and they had to walk to school. Can you imagine this? They had to walk to school in this gauntlet of adults that would line up in front of their school that had a different religious faith than them. And they would hurl all kinds of insults and, and vile, awful things. They would scream into the ears of these young ladies. And they would even pelt these young girls, young girls, with urine-filled water balloons. It was awful. And yet he talking he interviews these young girls and they are not bitter just the opposite they're completely filled with joy and he writes in his book made for goodness he says the reason they were able to choose forgiveness and not choose bitterness they looked at how bitter the people were around them and they thought i'm not going to be that way i know i'm made for more than this did you catch that 
They didn't choose bitterness because they looked at bitterness and said, oh, I'm made for something more than this. We all are. Yes, we can all choose the difficult path of forgiveness because deep down in our hearts, we know that's true about us too. We know we're made for more than bitterness. We're made for mercy. We're made for love. We're made for goodness. I believe that all of you are here today because deep down in your hearts, you have a desire to be more like Jesus. That's why we go to the church. We just think, I want to be more like Jesus. This Jesus character is so compelling and wonderful to me. Well, let me tell you, Jesus at his core is a forgiver. Not just your average forgiver. He's like this Jedi black belt, fifth degree, you know, platinum card carrying forgiver. And so we never resemble Jesus more, I don't believe, than when we forgive. When we somehow have the ability to offer a person who doesn't deserve it our mercy and forgiveness in that moment, that's when we most closely resemble Jesus in my mind. So if we want a revival to start in our city, which I do, I want more and more people every day this next year to come to know Jesus. A great place to start is to think, okay, God, I want a revival to break out in Eugene and Springfield surrounding areas. I'm going to start by forgiving that person I know I need to forgive. Because when we forgive, we look like Jesus. So what we're doing is we're making Jesus visible and attractive to the people around us. How great is that? I want to end with this quote, and then I'll pray for us. This is by the author, one of my favorite, Anne Lamott. She says this, No one can prove that God does or doesn't exist. But, it's not supposed to say tough, but through, but through acts of forgiveness, oh, no, but tough acts of forgiveness are pretty convincing for me. Let me read that one more time since I butchered it so badly. No one can prove that God does or doesn't exist, but tough acts of forgiveness are pretty convincing for me. Isn't that true? Our, our acts of forgiveness, as tough as they might be, will convince people, oh, this Jesus character I'm hearing about actually is real. He actually is good. Let me pray for us.